Hey everybody, welcome back to The Discussion Phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. And I'm your host, Brady. And I'm Matthew. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the long game and really what keeps us coming back to campaign games. And we're going to be finishing out with our next vacation destination through our favorite board games. So stick around and as always, buckle up. Well, Matthew, there's been we've been kind of going through a lot of changes in in the past like few months or so. I feel like there's there's just all kinds of stuff going on. We had David leave, and one of our boys may not be rolling solo anymore. But yeah. we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but anyways, the one thing that really hasn't changed is that the board games keep on rolling. The spice must flow. The spice must flow. Speaking of which, have you did you watch the new uh, trailer for? Dune. I know I saw the thumbnail on my like YouTube homepage, but I did not click on it. Is it gonna honestly? I don't want to watch the movie like any more than I already do. Like, I just want the movie to come out already. Oh, okay. So, if, if you don't need anything else to get you hyped or sold for it, maybe you could hold off. Um, because it does reveal a lot more of what's going on. Um, yeah, especially, you know, I haven't read the books. I haven't watched the original Dune, but just from being in the zeitgeist of uh, board games, I mean, we've got how many Dune games have now they're, come out? We've got there's out. Dune, there's Dune Imperium. I know Portal there's another games, one coming out, right? Portal games releasing like a story driven Dune uh, game with the um, IP and the artwork and stuff from the new movie. I mean, people are just cranking out Dune IP and I think. They're getting on the train early because uh, it looks like this movie is actually it's going to be a two parter from what I'm seeing. Um, they're going to have two different parts of it, but this could be like it gives me feelings of like I used to think, man, will a movie series or a trilogy or anything like that ever come out that like rivals the grandiose nature of something like a Lord of the Rings, but also be taken seriously for its skill and its acting and its cinematography. It's like. Yeah, I did. Obviously, that's that's very hyperbolic to say, but it gives me that feel of like this is something serious taken in a fantasy world that could like be rivaled as like this is as grandiose and as depth in its mythology and its world building something like Lord of the Rings was in the early two thousands. Yeah, because yeah, like Lord of the Rings was really the first like fantastical, um, like series that really just like set the bar. Like there was Star Wars, but no one as cool as those were, no one was like claiming that star Wars was like this like amazing film and all that, yeah. especially with the prequels. Like, yeah. When Lord of the Rings came out, critics started taking it seriously, Oscar nominations and wins. So I think a uh, Dune, uh, could be the next thing. And so if that's the case, just be expecting a lot more Dune games. Yeah. Like the Dune Imperium has a new expansion coming out, which is funny because John still hasn't gotten his 3d like upgraded bits. And, uh, I know I feel like we're going to be like over the game by the time all of those bits and stuff come in. Finally comes in. We probably wouldn't have nearly as many Lord of the Rings games if it wasn't for those, those movies that came out. So I'm all for it. Yeah. But we've gotten in a bunch of, uh, of games here we've actually gotten some new games in um to kind of we can kind of review and give some of our initial thoughts and impressions yeah. we've gone through kind of like a little bit of a deck building journey the past yeah. couple couple games yeah because i've always said i love deck building as a mechanic so i'm wanting to explore outside of dominion what is what what all can a deck building centered game give us um and so i know i had talked previously about path of light and shadow 
we got a chance to play that a four player. I would say that probably it's better at three um, just because of maybe some of the downtime with, you know, picking your cards. And also it was our three of the four of us. It was our first game. So that made it go a little bit longer. But what were some of your thoughts for it? Because I know what I say, what would make Path unique is it's leveling up um, area control and how um, sometimes you may not want to do a combat in region because it decreases its point value. So what, what were some of your thoughts from your first play of Path? Yeah, I, I think I really liked the gameplay. I liked that you could kind of focus on on like getting points from like building your deck up a lot or from controlling different things on the board. So it kind of gave you a few different uh, strategies and like um, the strategies kind of worked better or not as good when like multiple people were going for the different strategies yeah. and things like that. What were your thoughts on like the... Uh tech tree type board like well they in the game they call it building structures for different factions but essentially like focusing yeah, that on actually different tech reminded trees. me have you ever played kingsburg kingsburg i know the game but it's i haven't like a, played it it's a dice placement game dice like worker placement game um it's like one of the first ones other than like alien frontiers but that reminded me actually of kingsburg because it it's a very similar thing everyone gets like the same little um, I guess tableau of like tech upgrades and things. And as you play the game, you can kind of upgrade them to sort of cater your strategy to like a certain thing. And so, yeah, I, I like that part. Um, spoiler alert, we also played um, Thunderstone Quest, which is another sort of like big, grandiose um, fantasy deck builder. Actually, the, like the boxes are probably like, the same size, right? Or very similar. They're like these big cubular boxes. Oh, the the box for um, Thunderstone Quest is at least twice, if not two and a half times as big, and weighs probably four times as much. Yeah, because there's a lot of... There's a lot of, like, when they release expansion, they release expansions as, like, card pack, like, quest, okay. which is, like, and a new... And you got all of it? I have seven... We only, when we played, we only played with three of the quest materials in okay. there. Uh, I have I got the game and the Kickstarter and the first seven, uh, one through seven. I think there's actually eight, nine, ten, and eleven. So there's four other ones. Um, but each quest kind of gives you a different realm. Like one of the ones had a lot of stuff that kind of gave you a lot of Tolkien kind of vibes. There were like tree ends and there were elves and there yeah. were magic rings and elven and elven garb and stuff like that. Uh, the way we played it was a little bit different than standard Thunderstone would be played uh, because a standard game of Thunderstone is very Dominion-like uh, because you have a set market of cards like you would in Dominion. You had certain weapon cards, certain magic cards, certain item cards, and uh, a couple extra ones. But those are available all game long. There's a ton of copies of each one for players to go back and get. Um, but we play it to where we take one. Well, actually, because we only played three quests, I took two of each item, two of each weapon, two of each thing, and create like a a revolving market of different okay. things. So we could see different things. Um, but what we did was we kept the, how Thunderstone works similar to kind of path is that um, everyone starts with the hand of like just basic adventurers, adventure. yeah, but you yeah. can choose what type of hero you want them to become. There's like a wizard class, a fighter class, a rogue and a cleric class. Um, and there's dozens and dozens of different sets of those we can choose to put in the game. Brady just randomly picked some that he thought looked cool. But each of those have a level one, two, and three. Um, so one of the mechanics is that you're not leveling up your items and stuff, but you're leveling up your heroes because your heroes have attack values, but then they also have a skill value 
and your skill value is how many weapons or how many items you can attach to them when you go out into your dungeon. Um, and that, to me, I, I, the artwork was really great. I feel like the iconography was pretty easy to get into. It was my first game. Yeah. I just but learned I, it. I think both of the the artwork and really the production on both games is phenomenal. Yeah. So you would, I like, I couldn't really give the edge to I, like yeah. one or the other. Um, as far as text on cards, I felt like obviously some of those were the first time we're seeing. We saw some of those cards. You kind of read them and kind of used to, but I didn't feel it was heady or really like you're spending the entire game trying to read these cards, but I really enjoyed the whole concept of like, I always loved RuneScape. And so like when you go out to the wilderness, to the barricades and stuff or to the dungeon, there is a little wilderness tile there where you can go and fight a rat just to yeah. get a free upgrade for one of your basic adventurers and stuff like that. It reminded me of stuff like RuneScape, but yeah. I, I like to like, cause everything you can do can help give you points in one way or another through experience points, defeating monsters in the dungeon can get you experience points it's not buying like special a, it's items. It's not a real fantasy game unless you have to fight a giant rat. That's like fantasy yeah. 101 right there. Yeah. So there's three levels of the dungeon, level one, two, and three. The monsters are progressively stronger. The dungeon tiles that you bring out may have like base abilities that make things better or give you bonuses or make things more difficult. Light is a resource you have to get in the game to travel further into the dungeon. And I really liked the whole thought. I was like, man, I really need to get my heroes stronger so that they can go out there in the dungeons yeah. and stay longer there. Because that's where a lot of the victory points can be had. Um, yeah, I, think, I really enjoyed it. I think definitely I'd rather play it. I don't know if I'd want to play it at four just because it would just add extra time and not give you any changes to you're gameplay. you Thunderstone? Thunderstone Quest. Yeah. It, um, was, it definitely, and it was our first play, but it definitely dragged on. I think one of the beautiful things about my still favorite deck builder which is dominion is that it is lightning fast um and like i like in dominion you barely have enough time to like shuffle your you know your deck and like draw a new hand of cards before it's your turn again and i love that i think if, yeah. if dominion you know wasn't like that it would probably be like a lot further down on my list but this one like I was like going and fixing some like a snack and all this other stuff in yeah. between. And I think turns. you could play it to where if someone's going to take a dungeon action, you could go into a market action. I think the one thing that that um, uh, Dominion doesn't have is like the only really choices you're making is which cards to buy, right? For the most part, where in something like this, you're choosing, oh, do I want to go to the market or do I want to go to the dungeon? If I do go to the dungeon which monsters do I want to go up and fight based on their bonuses? Or maybe I have a little a side object I'm trying to get. If I go to the market, what type of cards do I want to get? That's the Dominion style. But do I want to, I like the idea of leveling up specific cards to get more powerful instead of just constantly buying the same yeah. card over and over or um, trying to buy a bunch of different random cards. I like the idea of like focusing on this card, but making it more powerful and leaning yeah. into its abilities because there's really like that and i i haven't looked i know dominion has like 40 million expansions to it there may yeah there may be something where they like you know upgrade a card but i i do like that i do think if i if we were comparing the two i'm probably going to give at least after the initial play i'm going to give the edge slightly to path i think for me thunderstone quest at least the way we played it felt like too much and not enough at the same time. I think I would have sacrificed. Um, Do you think it would have been better at two player count? No, it wasn't necessarily that. Um, but I was kind of disappointed that like my adventure could only go because in Dominion you have what like ten 
up or cards that you can buy. Um, with this, there were like the the like standard, um, like market, I guess, of cards. There's only four different ones. Or there the heroes, four heroes. Yeah, there's four different heroes, and each one has three different levels. So another way you could play it, and I didn't do all of it because it could have been too much at once, is to have it to where um, each stack of the rogue, cleric, wizard, and fighter, they're all just nothing but level ones. And whenever you would buy a specific hero type, you and you alone would get access to their level two and to their level three card that you just pull off to the side and keep beside your board that you and you alone be able to upgrade that one character for you. So you wouldn't have like... Because it technically, in the way we played it, like I had four, I had three of the same type cleric heroes. Yeah, yeah. Where in that, you there only be one of each type hero, and you alone would be able to upgrade. And so there would be constantly different. I think I would heroes. like that a little bit more. So did you? Because when I was looking through, there were only like maybe like a dozen or so of those heroes. Are there more in like the other expansions? Oh yeah, I, we're I'd say there are at least twenty. Okay. At least from that we open. Like I have another four scenario packs that added a ton of more stuff. I just didn't okay. open everything up and pull everything out. Yeah, I think I would like that a little bit more where it just, it gave a little bit more like variety. Cause like, yeah, I, what I ended up doing in the game was just, I bought one rogue and it really didn't do a whole lot for me. So then after that, I just started buying like the, the like tanky fighter guy who, and I like, I just never felt like I needed anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like the monsters, you could really beat them with, with like just melee combat stuff and the fighter had the most combat available and so that's what I went with. Yeah, certain um, weapons, certain items and certain spells are better to use if you pair them with certain hero classes. And then if you some things in the dungeon give you benis, benefits or are more harmful to you based on your uh, hero class as well. And this, then you also have like this personal little side quest or a little like uh, character archetype thing you can level up that may be specific to certain character types. Like one of my bonuses is every time I used rogues in the city, I would get all of my bread um, food tokens were worth more gold or I would get more skill from them. So yeah. some of it is, is character type, but I, I, I think I enjoyed it. I think they both do different ways of uniquely different ways of doing deck building. Yeah. So I always like exploring new the ways. Only, mechanics can work. The only um, gripe I guess I have with, the like upgrade card system is that you know like in dominion whenever you buy a new card you just you just grab it from the table and this whenever you upgrade you kind of have to like there's no good way of doing it so you have to like search through a deck where like the card is going to be and then like exchange the cards so that just it adds a little bit of time because it takes about like i don't know anywhere from five to ten seconds to like go through that deck and like find the one you have especially in path because the like the way you get cards is just like from like three or four different decks and it can be kind of tricky to find all of those things. But, um, but with that said, I definitely want to give these another go and kind of like hone my skills with them a little yeah. bit. Speaking of another, another go, we mentioned that we, we did get a five player game of a Kemet in, but, um, John recently brought in Kemet blood and sand, which is yes. essentially kind of the, the new Kickstarter second edition, uh, version of Kemet. It yeah. doesn't, it didn't change my thoughts on the game. Um, it adds some more interesting things. There's more obelisk temples out there to help you with transporting. So movement around the map is even easier in Kemet Blood and Sand. It adds option and where... I did not, I did not get to play this. So yeah, so in base Kemet, which we, which we all played, or at least me and you played, um, there were like three different 
um, God tracks or whatever you call those or like, yeah, with, with your pyramids and they correspond to different color tiles you yeah. can get so in Kimmy blood one, and sand. There are two different ones. And so what you do is that you just choose which of those three you want to play. Or actually, if you're playing a full five oh, you player, you only play three in normal, in a normal game. However, if you're playing five, John said that each player could choose which three they wanted. So all five are available, and at the beginning of the game, you choose which color pyramid you're going to start the game oh, okay. with. That's that's so you can kind of customize it. So maybe I guess you maybe do it in turn order, or maybe you do it secretly. Kind of so see what, what other people what are going were the for. Other two? There's like a green Cthulhu one, right? Um, yeah, there, there's a green one that maybe has to do, I believe, with maybe the underworld type stuff or reviving stuff. And then there was like an there's like a um, black onx um, ability that gave you more kind of versatility. Um, I couldn't really tell specifically what type of like is easy in the base game. Red was a lot with combat. Blue was a lot with movement and defense. And then white was a lot with like income generation. So you are, you're probably like the bougiest gamer in the group. So do you, after playing them, feel the need to sell your, your old copy and get the new copy? No. Um, like the, the pyramids were plastic and you level them up, but honestly, I wouldn't mind just that the the die the triangle sided die and you move that around um the miniatures were a little bit better but they still weren't anything like come on or or awaken realms or anything yeah, yeah. these miniatures and honestly i don't then don't didn't i enjoyed the new player boards they're a little recessed they have very clean artwork for the, the gods but i didn't love the art on the actual game map itself it seemed it didn't seem cohesive like every region and it was very distinct and stood out. I, I what I would say about Kemet, whether it's base Kemet or Blood and Sand, is that and it is a the most okayest average game that I can think of. Like I don't really have anything to criticize the game for, but I don't really have anything to 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 compliment the game for as well. I can uh, understand that. Like I, I rated it a seven, and it is just a perfectly not a bad thing or a great thing. It's like a perfectly middle of the road average game because even playing in Kimmet Blood and Sand, um, I still never felt like real great tension or I consequence or like I didn't the, really care if I won or lose. You were just playing the I game. I think for me it's the that action selection system. There's no tension to it. You can kind of just do whatever you want at any time. Yeah, I've never played it a game of command and I felt like, man, if I you choose know. this action, I can't do that action. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that like you have a certain amount of prayer points, but one of your actions gives you more prayer points. And so, mm -hmm. like, you, you're you even like, oh, I've got to spend these wisely. Well, not really, because you can just get more if you need more. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I would take it any day over Inish, um, and even probably Rising Sun. Oh, over Rising Sun. Yeah, I would take okay. it over Rising Sun. That's probably just because I'm really bad at Rising Sun. Um yeah. Oh, yeah, but I just couldn't ever see myself. Hey, let's play Kemet. But I was like, we got four people, three people. Why don't we just play Blood Rage? Blood Rage. Yeah, I agree. With that. And I know we play Blood Rage a lot, but there's there's just so much angst and tension because every time we sit down to play Blood Rage and we go, we're halfway through the the first round of the draft. Bray just puts down his cards. He leans back, takes a deep breath, and goes, oh, "This is killing me. I love it." The agony. <laughs> yeah. I go, Woo! <laughs> I'm I feeling just, alive. Like, like, yeah, literally, you look at that first hand of cards, and I'm just immediately in turmoil. Yeah, and so I think that, like, no other game does that to me. And I, and I think maybe something like that that 
candidate may be lacking for me, but it's, I don't have any criticism of the game. I think what it does, it does well. It's solid. It's like, it's. What is the sister one? Maybe we should get a hold of C- that. It's uh, Cyclades, Cyclades, Cyclades. Cyclades. I like Cyclades. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head what makes it a little bit different as far as the mechanic. There, I have played it once a long time ago when I was in college, and there's like a little. There's like a little bidding system. I can't remember where it is, but it's got yeah this little bidding mechanism in it. Maybe for battle or something. I can't exactly remember. Yeah, for it. But I it it I I know why people love it. It's it they're it's easy to learn. It's not confusing with what all you're doing, and you can just kind of sit back and just kind of enjoy the game. But yep. So it's it's a perfectly okay game, and that's yeah. that my vote on it. Uh, a new game that I got a chance to play, and I hadn't really been on my radar at all, and David, I sent him a picture that I was playing it, um, and he just literally was like, can you steal this game and send it to me from the person? Uh, we were at a game night uh, this past Saturday, and one of the guys there uh, brought it, Oracle Adelphi, or Delphi. Uh, and I had never even heard of this Yeah, game, it's a so. Stefan Feld game. I'm pretty, yeah, it it's doesn't Steph- surprise me that it was like all over David's radar because yeah. he's always into... So for what type of game this is, and you might be interested in this, if you enjoy Quest of El Dorado... Um, for the fact that it's like it's kind of open, you know, and there's a there's a hexagonal map and board, but like you get to choose how you move on the board. Um, there's a sense of exploration, but also a, a sense of racing against time. Like you, even though you want to explore, you want to move around, you want to, to get cards and do cool stuff. You also realize, hey, I have against I'm against the time because the first person to finish the race wins. Um, but if you want to kind of more some cool game Euro mechanics in there to make a little more interesting decision. I would say Oracle Adelphi would be the game of choice. Here's the um, thing, though. what What is the weight of it? Because it sounded like when you were kind of shouting us out, it was a little hefty. I would or say it took a it's, long time it's, to set up. It's, 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 little, it's, it's a little above midweight. I wouldn't say it's a heavy game. It's, it's, it's somewhere in between mid and heavy, maybe a, a 3.3. Could you play it with your parents? Oh, no, no. Okay. No, that's what that's I what I, that's, I think that's the beautiful thing I like about Quest for El Dorado is it's kind of like Dominion for me. It's very simple, plays very fast, and anyone, just about anybody, could play it. Yeah. And I, so this I would really be like, like hey, we want to do it, but let's we're with the people who are more into the Euro type games, but we still want that same sense of what gives us joy with El Dorado. So the basic premise is that you have a little boat. And there is a bunch of water, and you're, there are a bunch of different islands in this big map here, and you're going around trying to complete these different quests. Everyone has the same number of quests, the same type of quests to complete um, around the map, and so you're trying to choose which quest do I do first uh, to pick up items. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Blue Lagoon a little bit, too. You want to try to go and pick up items so that you can deliver them to other places for quests. There's some monster tiles that you can go and destroy, um, and different things like that, but it's all about... Which one do I do first? What are my opponents trying to do? Um, and it's a really, it reminded me of Castles of Burgundy a little bit. I don't think you've had a chance to play it with uh, dice. So you roll, you roll dice and there's different uh, color symbols on each face of the dice, six different colors that represent six different gods. And based on the color of the dice, it tells you which color tiles you're going to interact with on the board. But you can manipulate the dice with favor tokens um, there are six god tracks that if you ever get your god to the top of a track, give you a really powerful bonus. So after the end of everyone's turn, I would roll my die, and then all the other players at the table, based on the colors of my die, got to move up one of their god tracks 
a corresponding. So you're kind of always paying attention to the end of someone else's turn. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so like you're trying to deliver goods, you're trying to move statues, you're trying to defeat some beast. And now this wasn't your game, correct? No, it wasn't my Somebody game. The game but so um, does, it, does does the one play have you like? It didn't have you like running out to buy it. It didn't have me running out to buy it, but it did have me wanting to play it again. And I know David. I think De- David definitely would love this game. It definitely made me want to explore the game more, but maybe not go out and buy it. Yeah. Um. But I definitely it had a lot of interesting things going on in it. Um. But especially if you love that quest for Eldorado sensation of of open map you do what you want but hey you whoever gets finished with these quests and gets back to this certain point first they win so you could try to like hey maybe i'm going to level up and get all these cool little ability cards and gain all these extra little powers and stuff like that but while you're trying to level up and get some cool powers and abilities yeah Yeah. so it's a fine balance of like when do i get those bonus power ups because they help me do things faster or just go and complete yeah, yeah. tasks and stuff. Yeah, that's a beautiful attention that Quest for Elder. Yep. So it's sure. definitely, I think, a, a game I'd like for us to kind of try as a group. Um, but you're like, you're right. It doesn't have me like wanting to go out and throw some money at it. All have right. You had any other new games or anything like that? Um, I didn't have any new games. We did take um, Tara and I uh, went down to um, Helen, Georgia, with some friends of ours from Chattanooga. Um, if you don't know what Helen, Georgia is, it's, I didn't know what it was. It's like this wonderful little German town, um, in the middle of Georgia. It sounds quaint. Yes. It was very quaint. And, uh, it like, it wouldn't have been my first pick for like a little, you know, vacation retreat destination, but it ended up being a lot of fun. Like the town was so quaint and cute. Um, and then we, we played board games and hung out at night, um, and so we got in a couple games of Istanbul, the dice game, which I know you're a fan of. We got in yep. some Viticulture, which you despise. So I make sure to try to sneak that one in to, <laughs> with my other game groups. I, w- then, Brady, I, w- I wouldn't say I want to like it more. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I definitely see your problems with it. I don't mind it every now and then. Then we played Lords of Waterdeep, um, which is some of my friends' like favorite games. It's a super simple it's a, Little, yeah, it's a great uh, gateway game. Yeah, great gateway worker placement game, and the the um, expansion like it adds some more interesting things to it. Um, and then, nope, that's about it. Yeah. Oh, we played some ice cool. Yeah, that's yeah. all. That's always a, a <laughs> game for some fun laughs. The last two things that I, I forgot, I got in a play of Ares Expedition with John. He picked up a copy of it. Um, and this it, is the baby terraforming Mars. Baby game. terraforming Mars. It has the whole Puerto Rico type concept as you. You pick an action type, and everyone gets to take that same action, but you get the little bit better of it. Um, it's perfectly fine. I don't think the only people this should be interested in this game or buy it are people who knowingly say, I won't ever buy or play Terraforming Mars because it's too big or too long or too whatever. Those are the only people this game should be for. I don't see why anyone who owns Terraforming Mars should really own this game because the entire time I... I was playing, I was like, we can play a two-player game of Terraforming Mars in 60, 90 minutes and knock it out and have a grand old time Yeah. instead of kind of handicapping yourself. It was perfectly solid. It mechanically was sound. It was, and it made actually some really cool, like, lifestyle changes to resources and a reduction of cost for steel and titanium that was I thought was actually kind of interesting. But 
I still have a hard time, like, why wouldn't we play just base terraforming Mars? But if you have no interest in ever owning or playing that because you feel like the the level of entry is too high, then this would be, would be perfect for you. And yeah. the other one is Godfather um, by Eric Ling and produced with Simon. Uh, and this is one that John has, right? Yeah, John had it. He's had it a little while. I thought whenever I first looked at it, I was like, this seems like one of those games where they would just have a bunch of fiddly little rules for thematic sake just so that it would be more yeah, Godfather-like. Yeah. But I was actually very pleasantly surprised at how streamlined and clean it was. Hmm. Um, essentially, um, could it, you could you feel the Eric Lang in the game? Um, you could... F- I haven't played a ton. It's worker placement games, so I haven't played any other Eric Lang worker placement games, but you can definitely feel the interaction when it comes to the area you control in it. Um because the basic premise of how it works is you're trying to get resources, guns, um, alcohol, pills, <laughs> All the good stuff. bribed money, so that you can fill contracts. When you fill these contracts on the resources you collect from worker placement, you get money. You're trying to put money in your actual, like, uh, it actually has a little tin briefcase that you slide your money in secretly. I think you would probably love that little <laughs> component for it. And whoever has the most money hidden away from the dawn at the end of the game wins. But what makes it a little bit different is that uh, kind of rising, gave me kind of rising sun, maybe feel to some of it. Is that at the end of each uh, round, whoever had the most influence in the different regions of New York got to put out a control marker on it. And what that means is that for the next round of the game, whenever someone takes a worker placement action in a region you have influence control over, you get a smaller bonus oh, for other people taking, taking a little bit off the top there. Yeah, from the backdoor deal. So like you want to put out these control markers not only because they're in-game victory points and everything, but it's a way for you to get kind of free resources, yeah, reactionary yeah. resources. And so there was, there is a little um, take that, but I think it wouldn't be as bad in a four player game and what i mean by that is that you have worker placement you guys just pieces play two, player? two player yeah so everything we were doing was to each other because you have worker placement locations but then you have special sections on the board for family members and all their purpose is is for gaining you more influence so you can put a control marker there so it's a kind of a really cool balance is do i take these actions or do i prioritize area control first and so some actions you can do is like a drive-by shooting and you can shoot someone else's pawn and move it but you never actually losing actions. Like if I took a worker placement action, did that, I would get all my resources. I would get everything. However, the take that may be influencing people's control back and forth a little Gosh, bit. I feel like we need to give like a mature content warning. Got yeah, you literally, you literally, what you do with the pieces after you knock them off or anything like that is throw them in the Hudson River, which is a section <laughs> there on the board. They're swimming with the fish. Yeah. Um, oh I don't God. think I've seen The Godfather. The only. It's the theme is about as lightly tacked on. I honestly think we need some more like like explicit content board games. I was re- I watched the, I no like I watched the like what do you show, well yeah I, so I watched the show Narcos and yeah. it was a fantastic show and I love you like, also love Breaking Bad and stuff yeah, like, like that, Yeah, like Breaking too. Bad. I love, like, real-world crime stuff like that. Sicario. Yeah, Sicario. The Sicario movies are some great movies uh, that I like. And also so, by Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, so rather than, you know, trading in the Mediterranean or stuff, like, trying to, like, traffic drugs across, you know, borders and things like okay. that. And, like, you know, controlling territories and that sort of stuff, like The Godfather you're talking about. I think that would just... I don't know, create some unique games well, that you, you really wouldn't, haven't you seen. You wouldn't a whole get lot that of. feeling from 
from this game. Yeah. Um, it's this is a very like sort of lighthearted. Well, no, it's not. I wouldn't say it's lighthearted, but it's also not not dark or heavy. It's like the theme is. Oh, there's like Abomination. Like Abomination is another kind of like darker yeah. game. This one is it's it's in theme by name only in that the resources that because really it's it's a worker placement resource area control game, but you're just naming your resources and your characters to match a Godfather theme. Yeah, yeah. But hey, I mean, but it's I think it'd be really interesting. I think you can play up to five, but I really like to get a three or four player game in it because it actually unlocks more locations. And one really cool thing is that you can you can bid for like special allies which are like little powerful cards or powerful uh little workers like you can uh, hire a police officer as an ally that remo- that um, gives you more influence or a mayor but at the end of each round each player we secretly bid for these little power-up allies from the money that essentially are in-game scoring points so you're like you're bidding in-game scoring points to get a in-game advantage um, and everyone's secretly bidding for that. So they have some really cool things that I definitely wanted to want to play it at three or four. Five players may be a little chaotic, but definitely at three or four. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's move right into our main topic, which are um, campaign games. And we were yeah. kind of talking about um, kind of talking about this. And I realized I was coming up with my list that I've played like a decent yeah. amount for better and, or worse. And we're I've having played I, a decent and amount. And we're of coming campaigns. to this from two different perspectives. I mentioned this topic. Uh, to Brady, and he has his list here. I was like, wow, I really haven't played hardly any, um, but I'm finding myself having a spiritual awakening oh. uh, with campaign type. <laughs> Tell games. me more about that. Yeah. Well, first, let's let's give a little caveat. Like, what type? Like, when you say campaign games or legacy games, um, that may be a little too encompassing. So, what are some like distinct variations that you would probably classify? games into when it comes to campaign or legacy or different things like that yeah i guess there are like two different things so yeah there's like campaign and legacy so legacy or sorry i guess campaign is i um are almost like your D replacer game so i put like gloomhaven in there and we played through lord of the rings journeys of middle earth so really Campaign to me almost means like fantasy role play adjacent, you know, other mm-hmm. like something other than D and D. And then legacy games are like pandemic. Um, so it's not like you're you're not playing as necessarily like a character and role playing as that character. You're still playing like a board game. It just like changes uh, as you play it, and like what you do in one game affects the next game. Yeah. So my ex- my exposure and how much I've played, I've played two games of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, um, and it didn't really grip us, um, but I was playing with some friends, and um, and they weren't super into Pandemic to begin with. Yeah. Um, so that's as far as that went. I think I still have the game. I could probably reset it. I only <laughs> went through two things. I removed some stickers or some stuff like that. Reset. I don't think anything in the game really changed too much. Uh, we did get into King's Dilemma which I think was supposed to be kind of a hybrid legacy um, campaign game. Yeah. Um, but what really hurt that is that it, it really had no mechanics. Storytelling, storytelling game. game. It had yeah. no mechanics. And then that the interesting story points were so far and few between that we didn't really, we had no excitement to really keep coming back to it. I We weren't, we weren't playing the game wrong. Um, there was just 
there were certain story points. I was like, wow, those are really consequential, consequential decisions that kind of affects the house and the family that I'm playing. But most of it was just, hey, we just want to move this track up or down yeah. to complete just, some objectives. I don't know what the fix for the King's Dilemma is. It just, it eventually just got to where we all were like, man, where is this going? Like, there's um, nothing, like, there was no tension, or there was never felt like. I, I honestly, I felt most of the time we were just pretending to be interested in the decisions we were making just for, to have yeah, fun. Just to tr- yeah, to try to make the game fun. Um, and it just got too, too we were, out there because you end up discovering like too much in the game. To there where, are like five different branching storylines at yeah, one and, time. And it's not like you, you do one and then you move on to the next one. It's like you might do one decision and one and then one decision and another completely different storyline. And you might not go, you know, back to each of those for the whole session. And so by the time the next session goes around, you've kind of forgotten, you know, what you're invested in and, and everything if you're if you're invested at all. And so yeah, it, that's a tragedy. That was one I, I just thought from all the reviews and I and maybe we were just one or two sessions away from really unlocking the meat and potatoes of it. I don't yeah. know that could, that could possibly be, um, but I felt like we were we were pretending to have more fun than we really were with it. Yeah. And then the last thing that I had uh, for, I this was definitely more legacy, um, would be Betrayal, uh, yeah. House, on, ha- and that was House on the Hill. Def- that's another one that we apparently just did not get into the meat and potatoes of that game either. Yeah, so. maybe we're missing some because after that, that uh, the prologue, the prelude, or whatnot, I was hyped out of my mind for like yeah, this game really is exciting. gonna like mess with our expectations, turning us against Just get each very other. Meta, yeah, meta know? with it. It was like they. I don't. I'm not playing betrayal uh, because I want to re- uncover a tile or I want to move my my piece from one part to the other. I want to play it because like do I trust the person I'm sitting next to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they going to do? Do they have some secret objective or missions is like I, what are the unknowns? What are the mysteries? What are we solving? Like and betrayal are- is such a slog to get through because of that like halfway point where the 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 haunt happens and you yeah. kind of Sometimes to you're just thing. revealing tiles just so you can move the story along. Yeah. And so and so that's why not that I'm not coming to betrayal for the mechanics. I'm coming for like the story. What or, the story or what could it what could it do with the whole horror aspect or us not trusting one another that it's set up in that prelude and maybe we just didn't get to more of it, but we kinda like we're just playing betrayal. Yeah. And we never wanted to do that to begin with. Yeah. And so much. really like have so you mentioned these two. Have you played one that that you a game that really it sank its teeth into you and you couldn't you like you wanted to play it over and over again yes okay. and this is so where what, what is that one and then we have to decide and i'll kind of share some of mine and we have to decide like what is the difference between those that like we we were counting down the the hours to the next play and then those ones that just fizzled out yeah uh, yep. so to me and what has just lit a fire under what um, these legacy campaign type games can be is Gloomhaven. Okay. So back in 2019, I played four or five sessions of Gloomhaven. Um, I didn't really have any understanding of the background, the world, mechanics. I just knew Gloomhaven was a big box. It was kind of the 
D&D peoples into into board gaming mechanics. That was really a wrong way of looking at it, but I didn't really have any grasp. And when I sat down into the session, I was kind of thrown into the story, didn't really have an understanding of what I was doing. I knew what I was doing mechanically, right? Trying to complete the scenarios, but like the story and the overarching goal and how all these things grow. But I did start to get some of the the uh, basis of the game. And then we played Jaws of the Lion. Uh, we played six or seven scenarios of that when David, when he was still here. Um, and so what set this game apart is the mechanics that are at the basis of Gloomhaven and the uh, nature of playing your cards and working. I wouldn't say it's a puzzle, but like the mechanics of those card plays, you're playing two cards. One is for most of the time for a movement. One is for a combat um, is the core gameplay that even if I'm maybe not as interested in something else going on in the game, I can say, Hey, I want to play Gloomhaven at least just for the mechanics of the game. Um, but as I di started diving into it more, the world, the story, what all the game could be, character progression, character classes, and all that, that actually bought Frosthaven many, many moons ago. Um, and everything with that all in. And I was like, you know what? Frosthaven is getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Because I figured we could just jump into Frosthaven. It's like, John, I'm really wanting to play Gloomhaven like really bad. And he's like, <laughs> I was like, I'm almost tempted and to get the digital edition, but I don't want to do that if we could actually play Gloomhaven. And he was like, Matt, I'm, I'm ready just to go all in. So the very next day, John bought Gloomhaven. Um, and then I bought the um, like individual player mats for it with like really cool artwork in the background. We got... Uh, the full set of 3D terrain for sleeves. John got this a, is what I'm talking about with the bougie with the bougie game, right? <laughs> you you laugh at me. Brady. I am laughing at you because like you guys are just like like 200% full sin in Gloomhaven. Like oh, as, as if it is not as expensive enough with just the base box. You spent like another hundred dollars on it. Yep, and we got we got Titan Shield sleeves for our, our modifier decks and our and our player actual action cards and then john is getting a binder for our our shop like we're literally going to create a shop book of like you know with those sleeve pages so we put all yeah. the items so you can literally turn flip the pages and you can shop yeah. in the market whenever like you go into the city spell book yeah and so see. we are going full send and so what is giving me so much joy is is it's a it's not a full legacy game like even though there's yeah. legacy aspects You're not up cards or whatever you technically can um but the game isn't you're putting stickers on the map. You're exploring new things. Like you can't just go back and just redo other things. The, the game is progressing. The game is yeah, changing. Okay. You're increasing your character, but it's also a hybrid. It's not just full a storytelling game, right? That some stuff like the King's Dilemma is like the story is in there. Um, why are we going here? We were given this quest. We were given this mission. We can choose what path to take, um, but you get to create your characters. You get to create your story. But at the very basis of it is a very sound, very engaging, very um, dynamic mechanic that grows and changes as you play. Because every time you level up your character, you're getting new cards. And those new cards are specifically made to reevaluate the way you look at playing your character. And when your character levels out, there are a dozen new classes in, in Gloomhaven that are completely new mechanics, completely new ways to play the game. Yeah. Um, and I know in base Gloomhaven, there's 95 scenarios. People say that maybe you'll play 70-ish of those, depending on the path you take and yeah. what are you doing. Do you do all the side missions or whatnot? Because you may not actually do every scenario based on the 
choices that you make. Yeah, and, uh, with and it. I like that. And I think, um, like, there that is an interesting thing, right? Like, the designers um, are, are designing this, and you are paying for some of this game that you won't play, right? I mean, you technically can. You can, like, pull them out and just... The thing about Gloomhaven, you can just play random setup scenarios. You can just open up a page and play a scenario. But when you play it with the campaign, it's like, my decisions actually make an impact. Yeah. Even something as simple as the road events. So we play, uh, we, you, you weren't there for our very first game of it, but we were we, in our, in our I don't, and I was going to ask you what character you're going to pick, but right now we have the Cragheart, John is playing, um, Jacob is playing the Spellweaver, and then I'm playing the Scoundrel. Um, and so we went on this, we went on this, I do um, like scoundrels. So what, what tell we, me, we, on, what's a what, tell me a little bit about each character. So like, okay. So the crack heart is kind of a rock type, so like a tank creature. Guy. It's not fully a tank. So he has a combination of some melee and ranged. He, he does a lot of area effects by creating debris and boulders. The spell weaver has really powerful cards, um, projectile type uh, cards for her. The scoundrel is a fast character that kind of runs in and can do a lot of single character damage uh, on certain things and then trying to run out um, for gotcha. it. And then what are my, what are my, what am I left So with? the mind thief, uh, the mind thief is a really, really cool character. It's probably one that you're going to like. The mind thief does a really good job at picking up a lot of loot, um, oh. hiding around while other players are doing a lot of stuff. The mind I'm, thief I'm is a super, super fast character, but they're all about turning invisible, going in and throwing effects on 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 enemies and darting out. Um, they have a lot of like rolling effect type stuff in their modifier deck. So you can kind of run in there and you can kind of do a lot of combos on characters. There's the Tinkerer who is um, a class to where they can be either played as a support class. So you're aiding in a lot of uh, healing or, or um, resources, not resources, but elements. Or you can play them as like a ranged projectile type of class imagine you're a tinkerer and you're creating weapons to use uh so at the base gloom base gloomhaven what it does more than just jaws of lion and jaws of lion the character classes are pretty pretty stream like this is the way you play them but in gloomhaven each character class uh, people if you go online and look at it, they what's called builds and so people you can take a character class but you can actually put your own spin on how you build it up by the mm. items you get by which cards you do pull in and out and then enhancements um, so that's one thing you can't do in Jaws of Lion, but you can in Gloomhaven are on the actual cards yourself. You can choose, you know what? I like this card. Do I want to make the attack stronger? Do I want to add an element bonus? Do oh, I want so to add put stickers, you on, put the stickers on the cards oh, to make okay. them more powerful cool. as you play? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know. But like what I was mentioning before, like a road event, it literally said you're traveling through and you see where um, debris has fallen into the road. Uh, your options are you can try to clear it out for a faster path or you can try to go around. And we thought to ourselves, like, you know what? We have a crag heart in our group. I was like, John, you're literally a rock man. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get it through. And then literally when you reveal on the back, a lot of the conditions, if you have certain characters in your party, uh, when you try to, well. you're, you are more likely to uh, succeed, succeed at certain stuff. And so it literally said, if you have the crag heart in your group, you were successful in trying to clear this out and you cleared it out in minutes you uh, get to your place faster and you get some little experience points. But if you didn't have your crag cart and you try to clear it out, you would waste a lot of time and you would actually lose a card from your next scenario. Like wow. you would have one less card. And so like we thought of like, hey, we have a crag cart in our group. Like the decisions, even stuff like that you make in between scenarios and stuff like that is yeah. 
is really interesting. Yeah, and I think like it's a lot of people when I tell them that I like board games, they kind of immediately they're like, "Oh, well, do you play D and D?" And they're actually yeah. like pretty surprised when I say, "Well, no, I don't," and I'm not like a huge fan of D and D. And I think a lot of like um, I don't know, like people who aren't as familiar with board games just kind of assume that they're the same thing, and they're just very not yeah. the same thing. And I think. Uh, people like you and I really appreciate um, just the boundaries that a board game and the context that a board game like brings um, where D and D like, I just get so I think the boundaries of a board game actually challenges the player more. Yeah. Like it's setting limitations also allows you to push farther. That kind of makes sense. It gives you more tension. Uh, To me, it gives me more of like a sense of accomplishment um, whenever I, you know, whenever we beat a, a scenario or whatever. Um, yeah, and so Frosthaven is 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 literally Gloomhaven plus an extra fifty percent of content. Yeah, Frost, Gloomhaven is ninety five scenarios. Frosthaven's going to have one hundred and thirty five, one hundred thirty eight scenarios <laughs> in it. Uh, and one of the really cool things is going to have city building. And so normally in Gloomhaven, you come back to the city, you can do some events, you can do some items and stuff. But what you're able to do in Frosthaven is instead of just gain, gaining money all the time, gaining money, you can actually gain resources like wood, uh, steel, um, different resources, stuff. And when you fur, and when you come back to your Frosthaven, you can choose to spend those to increase your barricade, increase the wall, increase the different places and literally build up your city and the buildings you choose to build up or level up give you bonuses for different things you're trying to do and interact with yeah um so there's and, really cool mechanics that Frosthaven is going to be bringing in but i right now maybe january if everything goes smoothly if not further <laughs> out so that was the first thing so right now we're starting into to gloomhaven um, but then there's, we also have, we mentioned several times, Osworn, right? Yeah. And so I think you can talk a little more, obviously you've spent way more time looking into the details. How is maybe Osworn similar, different? Because um, I think yeah. uh, myself, I know John, I know Jacob does, and I hope you get more to like these type of mechanically sound games that we can keep coming back to on a regular basis and the game grows and we get to enjoy more and more each time. Those are, for me, are the type of, campaign legacy games that I'm starting to realize I love and enjoy. Because if you ask me right now, Matthew, what game would you like to pay, play for the next five months? If you just pick one, it'd be Gloomhaven. Yeah. Right now. So for me, I think like I really wanted like this D&D experience in a board game because I grew up playing like the Elder Scrolls games. Yeah. Oblivion and, and Skyrim, and I love that. Wait, type real quick, of do you world. know there's Skyrim is com- a board game for Skyrim is coming to? Uh, I think Kicks- either Kickstarter or GameFound. Um, I think I did see that. I I don't know that I'm all that excited. There's about not much it. details for yeah. it. I, and at this point, we're waiting on so many games that yeah. I can't. Which are the old get world excited about? Yeah. You know, rumors. Um, but anyway, so I was looking, really trying to be patient and and look for a game that would give me this like D and D experience, but with, yeah, like more boundaries and more, um, just like concrete, like rules and stuff. Um, and so I looked into Gloomhaven. Everyone is praising Gloomhaven. The only thing that, um, was keeping me from investing in Gloomhaven was, and it's kind of silly, but the, I, I did not like that there weren't, um, miniatures, miniatures. 
That yeah. just seemed kind of lame to me. But the thing is, and I, I agree with like my natural reaction, but like when you're actually playing it more like those standees, especially in Frosthaven, they're going to be even bigger, but like it has full graphic color art. Yeah. And actually a lot more detail than like a bunch of gray miniatures that yeah. it's hard to tell the detail unless you paint it. So there's pros and cons. Yeah. And, and I, and the other thing was that it was so much content. Um, and I like, you know, we've, we've played through, we've, we've just listed like three or four legacy games that we haven't finished. Um, yeah, but, and, the, but the reason I would say is the reason we haven't finished because we just couldn't, or the game didn't give us a reason why we wanted to finish. Yeah. But the and I've I've just I heard so many people when they talked about Gloomhaven they're like yeah you know we were so excited about this and we've played five or six scenarios we're never gonna play the seventy or whatever that it, you know it takes to finish the game and so I wanted something um, a little more um, or actually so I play we played um, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth mm-hmm. and so that was like a great starting point um, it was something it was very app driven. Um, and it had miniatures for everything. Uh, we actually learned how to paint based off of those miniatures and my boy Sarastro on YouTube. Um, and so we learned how to paint, we painted all of them. Um, and Jacob and I played through the whole first campaign with our wives. Um, and it was just, it was great, um, experience, uh, but it was just a touch, um, too simplistic. Yeah. I think it was your biggest criticism was like, you wish you could get a little bit more into customization of your character, right? Well, and the, like, a lot of the, like, they had pretty good story. And and what Lord of the Rings did, for the most part, was it would have, like, this story mode where you were kind of exploring the land, and that would sort of lead you into the combat mode. So there were, like, two different um, parts to it, and you kind of flip back and forth. Um but in the story mode, a lot of the things rewarded you with this like generic resource. So you would be like, oh, you come upon a chest and you, you know, opened it. And if you opened it, it would it would say, oh, you found a scroll, gain one inspiration. And inspiration is kind of like this resource that you use yeah. to kind of pass up. And that just was so lame and boring. Um, occasionally you would find kind of like a special thing, but like 90% of the time, you would do this cool thing and it would give you this like stupid resource. And that was just so like, it did not feel good. It didn't feel like you did something special when you just, you like kind of worked really hard and then got this thing. So, um, so I kind of took Lord of the Rings and said like, let's just take that, turn that up just a little bit. And then Oathsworn came out on Kickstarter and it had these amazing miniatures for everything it had that same two-part thing where it was like one, like if you played a whole an adventure session, phase and then a city yeah, narrative it, phase. Well, it, or yeah, like an adventure phase and then a, a combat phase. So you would do the adventure and sort of like go through a city or the woods or whatever and sort of gather information on this, you know, this particular beast or bad guy. And, um, and so the, and it's also like, totally app driven and that was another yeah. thing as i like that was another critique of gloomhaven well they was, do have they do have app for all the narration uh so yeah. it's like it's full voice acting background but did that come out later stuff. i feel like that didn't i, I that don't know like i know frosthaven thing. is coming out with it and yeah. i know gloomhaven i don't know if john's already gone i showed it to him the other day ask kind of hinting 
that he would buy it because I just <laughs> I just spent a bunch of money on on uh, scenery for the game. Um, yeah. But it does have that now. It doesn't. I don't know how Oath Sworn like if it will walk you through like. So the Gloomhaven, it just kind of reads the scenario background. It, it, it whenever yeah. you move on to the next, because in Gloomhaven, whenever you like go through a different room, it triggers a new kind of like text of what's yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. Then it'll read all that. I don't know if um, if Oathsworn, when you're in the city phase or different things, he'll read you off and you make different decisions inside the narration. I don't know how in depth yeah. that and mechanic the, will be. So the other thing that Oathsworn had was like great, fantastic artwork. It's also, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Gloomhaven does a great job, and I think you and I are on the same page with this, but it's sort of that, like, grim dark. So, um... Yeah, that's the one thing I'll say about Gloomhaven is that it's... None of it feels unaccessible or so pushed so far that it just seems, like, really weird. Like, all the creatures and all the characters are unique, but they all... Someone someone said in a review, they all feel unique, but also somewhat similar. I mean, yeah. not similar, but... but uh, familiar. Re- familiar at the same yeah. time. But they're not, like unaccessible or, or grotesque or anything all the and i appreciate this in gloomhaven is that the language there's no like <laughs> trying to read the, the oh, these yeah, characters yeah. abilities or yeah, yeah like some like gibberish jabber or yeah. whatnot and so like, it's very clean it's very clean <laughs> yeah but aesthetically. it's like it's D adjacent so yeah like there's i think you know, i think osborne's of- a little darker just to just, well, just probably a like a little darker, but like what, so. What I'm saying is, um, like with the classes, you don't have like ranger and rogue and stuff like that. You have mind thief and spell weaver, and so it's just a little yeah. more unique and cool. And you have um, a lot of the same things in Oathsworn rather than like your basic like ranger. You have ranger esque characters, but they're just they're a little different. And um, or the other thing is like magic is just like dialed way down. I think in uh, in Oathsworn, um, particularly like we were playing D anD D the other day, and like some of the magical abilities are just like ludicrous. You can just kind of do whatever you want, and yeah. it can really like um, kind of like almost like mess up the story. Like when you can just like. A level nine nine like fire spell from the sky that just obliterates yeah, well, everything. Or you can just find some crazy solution to a problem. Like you don't have to like and it, like it's not a struggle to get through it. And so I do I like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, magic is typically like dialed way down, at least in the movies they were. And so I, I do I do like that. So one thing like, I'm curious to see how it plays out is the combat. Because the combat from what I'm looking at seems very skirmish. Um, inspired. Does that make sense to you? So the, the, when you're playing Oathsworn, at least from what I've been able to see, you have like a a square rectangle board and yeah, different yeah. hexes, and then that is your scenario, and you can kind of move however you want around the board as you interact with the miniatures that you're fighting. Um, that it kind of makes me feel a little more like a skirt, like a cooperative skirmish, versus like in a Gloomhaven, it's like a sense of exploration through this yeah, puzzle. Yeah. And I'm also well, curious, like, like, like the, I know you have health in in Oathsworn. Uh, but I know one thing that Gloomhaven is that constant sense of like we just can't lollygag because we're we're against the the clock on time, right? Because as we use our cards, our cards are going to be discarded as we as we short or long rest, and that's kind of our health and timing mechanism. So I'm curious to see how that tension yeah, is I there think it's, in Oathsworn. It's the difference with that like two part system, right? So Oath or uh, Gloomhaven is just like you know one scenario at a time or whatever, and the the combat and the scenario are kind of like one thing, wherein 
Oathsworn, it's kind of split up into two separate things. Like you're you're doing the exploration and the sort of investigation during that adventure phase, and then you eventually sort of get to the room or the forest or the whatever and fight the monster. So yeah, so I'm excited to to see how it all comes out. I think being able to uh, interchange weapons on your the character yes, action models that was just, is really cool. That yeah, it was so yeah. cool. And so and then the last thing is like getting to this foray is like. I know we talked about Gloomhaven, but be consistent. I say all the time is like, what what do I find in the games I love most of the games I can come back to and try to get better at and grind more and stuff like the Great Western Trails and the Roots and all those kind of games. I feel that same sensation when I'm playing Gloomhaven. I'm bringing my deck because I'm constantly new cards are coming in, perks, and so it's a game to where like I'm I I am like mentally actively trying to get better and improve every single time yeah. I play. But then also. Um, I've I've owned Awaken Realm games, um, um, this War of Mine, Lords of Hellas, but I haven't forayed into any of their new venture after Lords of Hellas when they started dropping Tainted Grail, these like narrative campaign yeah. type games. Uh, Tainted and Grail. Tainted Grail, Tainted Grail, and Etherfield, Etherfields, Etherfields, where yeah. two of them that I and there was another one where two of them that I looked at, I'm like, oh, could this be it? And then there was just a few things I was like, glad nah. you didn't waste your money because yeah. because uh, Tainted Grail was just these grindy slog. Etherfields was a jumbled mess that you couldn't even really figure out how to play. But ISS Vanguard, I I know we maybe say a lot about like some of these space things. I love space. Or theme. Some of my favorite shows are like Stargate, SG-1, and Universe, Atlantis, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Did you ever um, play the... Um, and people say a lot of Mass Effect or stuff yeah, like that. Mass, did you ever I, play Mass Effect? I never played Mass Effect. definitely... I know you're kind of just recently in the video game world, but if you love that and you love the storytelling, you got to give Mass Effect yeah, a try, even though they're a little older. Because the, the, the level of like space reminds me of stuff like Prometheus, type yep. space I just exploration. watched Covenant the other night. Actually. Yeah. So this gives me like the Prometheus type space uh, vibes and it's all about exploration and discovery and the main mechanics are that I don't want to give away I know kind of the prequel for like the story I won't go into but you and your whoever you're taking out with on these missions it's all dice based right but your your dice are all custom based on the character classes that you are you get to upgrade your dice. You get to upgrade your character. You have all kinds of modifiers. You have tools that you use to assist you with it. And it's definitely more focused on exploration and discovery, maybe more so than like hard gameplay mechanics. Uh, but it has a thing after you do these missions and explorations, you're finding new things, make decisions. It has a ship phase where you're literally managing your crew, crises, uh, people are injured, putting them in the sick bay, um, discovering new sciences and technology. And so you're literally like managing a ship. It's like, hey, we have like this, they call it a planet topedia, essentially like here's our kind of like star star map. Where do you want to go? Where do we want to do? Is like it really puts you into like the driver's seat of like we're literally on this discovery ship spacecraft here and we know our story we know our mission is like where are we going what are we doing yeah it, honestly it sounds like mass effect the board game yeah is what you're um and so i've full sent it on <laughs> on it i've got i went all in sun dropped everything for it we're gonna have the to have sleep. like different nights so like monday night is gloom well that's well, that, well and i was thinking about that people say and i did david he laughs at me he'll scoff he's like <laughs> and he's like you'll never play it and it's like but for me it's like the games that yeah. I've found, like, and it's not just like the recent games. I've looked back at 
the past 15 years of board games. There I can count on one hand um, the the campaign type games that I would like to play, but I don't want to play them all in six months. Like there's nothing wrong with us holding it, holding yeah, yeah. it and getting these games. I've had like how Risk often legacy in my up in my collection for like three years. Yeah, but like how often is a Frosthaven Gloomhaven coming out yeah. quality game? Like because we see these on Kickstarter monthly, Non-stop. Yeah, all these yeah. campaign types kind of game oh, but what? there was another one i think eric lang was involved with it it was like a there's like legends tr- of truvang truvang legends was it it, it was, was like your like sleeving stuff. It, stuff yeah you're sleeving yes cards I, that was on another the one board. i looked at and it, like the art the art got me on that i was like oh this is not good yeah he was in there name a uh, name only i believe but okay. like how often is a frost haven gloom haven and then from the the game i've actually watched a good amount of gameplay of iss vanguard and I'm getting really hyped and excited for it. A lot of the people who are watching it are reviewing this stuff and saying this may be one of the best game because uh, it's it's a lot more streamlined. Like it's very straight. It's like it's not a complicated game to play. The rules seem very straightforward with it. It allows you, the players, to have control because Etherfields, that rule book was in your hand. You're turning it upside down, <laughs> sideways. I mean, I took a picture and put it on our account of David literally standing up on the board upside down and sideways trying to read this thing. Tainted Grail was just this grindy slog. But ISS Vanguard seems like it's it's a fun exploration of beautiful discovery. But how often are those games coming? It's not like we're not backing these games like every month, at least not like these campaign type games. And yeah. how often it could be another two, three years before yeah, the something way this is going before like even something of even interesting quality even comes in. So there's nothing wrong with like us having ISS Vanguard or Frosthaven and have it. We have it. Or when we need it, right? We got yeah. the Kickstarter versions. We got it the better deal. We got the content we want. But there's nothing wrong with us, bro. We're just in our twenties, right? Yeah. I mean, we got we got years to kind of play this stuff. So it was like, I'm not trying a race to like we have to play Gloomhaven in one month, right? Yeah, yeah. Or anything crazy like that. It's like, hey, maybe once a week we'll have a just a dedicated like what mentioned like once a week we'll just have a campaign night and we'll just go through a, a one a game with a campaign or we can kind of rotate different ones in and out. But then we just kind of make our way through some of these stuff and we're enjoying ourselves. Right. And now, and so that, I think that's why, like I've had this kind of like spiritual enlightenment when it comes to these (laughs) games, because previously before it feels like these, some of these games are just a waste of your time. They're fiddly. They're just a campaign story game just for the sake of being with them. But the, the mechanics and the gameplay, like I wouldn't be opposed to just playing a, just a game of Gloomhaven that didn't even have anything tied into the story. But being able to work together cooperatively. I, I, I don't have anything against cooperative games, but to me, like I have a very particular way of cooperative games need to work. And I think yeah, stuff like too. Spirit Island is good, but I think even better is that in Gloomhaven, I think in Spirit Island, it's almost so extreme that like, I can't help you even if I want to, yeah. right? Gloomhaven, you can communicate a little bit better and plan. Obviously, I can't tell you what cards to play. I don't know all your cards, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how fast to go or initiative. I can say, hey, we need probably need to try to do this. We need to try to do that. And we can actually interact. And in Spirit Island, sometimes I'm on the other side of the map. I've literally played Spirit Island. So like, I didn't even really talk to one player because there was no way our spirits were ever interacting. Yeah. But I, it does cooperative in a really great nature. You, you can't take over anything. But then it adds just experience like we always talk about we enjoy board games for the fun and the stories and the experiences we tell um, but i think we're finally finding some avenues to where we could turn that up a notch yeah and i before we wrap this conversation up i could not we couldn't talk about 
like campaign slash legacy games without me bringing up pandemic legacy season one. So yeah. I know you talked about it earlier, you played one or two. Um, I played through it with Jacob and our wives through the whole game. And that to me, um, I mean, better than was better than any other legacy game, better than Lord of the Rings, better than Jaws of Lion, all of that stuff. Like though some of we like some of those moments where we were all standing up, like waiting to flip that card over and like just that sense of exploration. And, you know, I'm not big on um, co-op games. Like I don't really like any co-op games that aren't uh, tied to like a legacy aspect, but there were so many memorable moments with pandemic, like where there was one game in particular where for us to like win that particular scenario we got to the point where we knew that one person had to like go into a certain city and like hold it down mm -hmm. and they were not going to make it out and it was just it was way you can have characters die in you pandemic can. legacy and yeah. and and what's crazy is like sacrifice yourself that yeah so i i can't remember it may have been me but one person had to go in and sacrifice themselves and it's a weighty decision because they do like permanently die and you've spent time upgrading them oh yeah so you've upgraded them you've given them more abilities and better and so when you kill them and you have to go back to like a basic character again it is rough and so yeah we got to the point where we're, we kind of all looked at each other and we're like there's only you know there was like that scene in Endgame where Doctor Strange like holds up his one finger to Tony Stark. There's <laughs> yeah. One in There's like only one way to million, yeah. yeah. And we were like, yeah, someone's going to have to do this. And like we went in the city, we won. And it was just one of the most epic moments I've ever experienced in board games. Um, and so I just, I think Pandemic Legacy Season 1 will always go down in my memory yeah. as like nailing it on the Legacy aspect. Yeah. And I'm definitely not wanting these to like, these be the only games we play like our game of PAX Premier Second Edition a couple weeks ago at, at David's house was one of like my favorite gaming experiences, spoiler for the year. Um, and so, but I want I want it to be something that we consistently kind of have a, a, a good kind of mix with the other type of Euro because yeah. we, I mean, we're we still probably, the Euro we bougie need Euro more boys. Cooperation in our game nights. I know I get super stressed out, and I know we have a lot of type combat yeah, type yeah. games. So more cooperation, <laughs> I think, could definitely balance out some of the imbalance and some of those other games and it, and it does and it kind of brings brings everyone together so i'm excited about having a healthy kind of consistency with those type games yeah. in our in our rotation yeah. of stuff I'm looking forward to it. um and i think it too is like i know mentioned at the beginning of the year and we kind of we're, we're kind of done with our topic for the legacy type games but you know i talked about you know a board game collection about a hundred games and you know that's kind of really what i would like it to be because like you know, are you really playing a hundred different games and stuff this year? And like so far with my tracks, I'm well on pace to have over the game of day, but I've had almost 120 unique games played just about halfway through the year. Um, now I'm not saying that should justify for me having a bigger than a hundred board game collection. Um, but we do get a good variety of stuff in. And so I think that's one thing we enjoy doing um, is getting like, we only, we used to, we were playing wingspan a ton back in 2020 we've only played at least for me i've only had like one logged game of, of wingspan i was looking back at like what are some games that like i've only played once this year or, or hardly anything and i was like wow i feel like we play wingspan all the time but it's been a while uh since we we've played it but 
I'm definitely looking forward to having more of a rotation of those of those games in there. And we do I do feel like we still get a good variety of games yeah. played. So you're looking forward to Wingspan the Legacy game? Is that what you're saying? Uh this will be one of those legacy games I pass on. <laughs> you can't play I I do agree you can't play them all, right? Yeah. Um I think actually Descent um I've always had like an inclination for these type of games. I remember I bought Descent um uh, second edition or what not years and years and years ago never got to the table never played yeah i just recently saw where they got like even like the th- new third edition coming out but like oh, they have a third edition coming out well, i don't know if it's specifically a third edition but it's like the new descent like the new big box descent game yeah. and it I looks know, really like, cool they're like dissolving fantasy flight i was just yeah. reading an article but, like, where they're like moving i look at it there. and i have like no desire to play it's like i've got i got yeah. the games i know it's like kind of yeah it like got surpassed like yeah um, it i got, feel like it got past i feel like Descent versus Gloomhaven is a perfect example of like pre Kickstarter and then like after Kickstarter. Yeah. Like well, the Kickstarter thing is, Gloomhaven so sold on Kickstarter, but it actually, do you know, Gloomhaven actually had two Kickstarter campaigns? It I actually think I had, do remember that. it actually had an initial campaign, first edition. It didn't have that many. I mean, it had a good amount it funded, but it didn't didn't have like crazy. It didn't stand yeah, out, yeah. but it got such crazy reviews that they and, and they made the second edition, which is some quality of life upgrades with it. But they didn't have like stretch goals really. And it's like, this is Gloomhaven. Would you like to buy it? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not in the traditional vein of like the Awakened Realms type Kickstarter. And then that's where it went gangbusters and sold like crazy. And I think after Gloomhaven did that, it changed. Like there are still people that like the old Descent style of dungeon crawler board games, but like. We need games like where, story and more meat and more consequences. Yeah, like that's the thing like is like that. Gloomhaven actually has some like um, secret envelopes in the game. So like I know they're puzzles because it even comes with a decoder. But even in Frosthaven, there's going to be like 17 secret envelopes. There's going to be like secret mysteries and like messages all throughout your scenarios, like an escape room type effect that it'll have mixed in through there. So there's like more than just gameplay. It's like it it's purposely adding meta like what is happening outside of our game and like the bigger picture of stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's just so many different ways. And I think Cephalofair games is, uh, is um, definitely one of those, like what is the biggest moment that you could point back hundred years from now is turning points in gaming. Yeah. You probably say the year that Azul and uh, Gloomhaven came out, <laughs> changed the world. Um, but that's kind of a wrap it, wrap it up for that. You can probably tell that, you may be hearing more of uh, Gloomhaven and some campaign content coming in the future. Yeah, I'll um, be excited to maybe yeah talk about get a few plays of these in and talk about some comparisons and yeah. things. Like uh, that but we're going to uh, get back to our kind of a segment for this month. It's uh, Vacation Destinations Board Game Edition. Um, and these are pretty simple. It's like, where would we like to go based on these board game settings that we played that you not only want to go there, but play the game there there as well get that insta out snap a few pics for the insta while you're playing that game in that location just dreams man dreams yep so what would you um go with here first brady um okay so this one's gonna be a little dark but i want but it's mostly for the location so i'm gonna choose Letters from Whitechapel, and that is mostly so I can take a vacation. <sighs> I didn't really think about England. that one. Yep. Um, and or you know I could also do Scotland Yard, but I'm I like Letters from Whitechapel better, so I'm going to do Whitechapel. Oh, you missed out on our Letters from Whitechapel game. Uh, yeah, the I have week. played it a couple of times before, so I do. I love hidden movement games. Um, I know like Scotland Yard was kind of like one of the first ones, um, and then they've kind of expanded on that, but I. 
Um, I, last week was my Santorini, my beach thing. Um, and, and I do, I love that. I'm a, I'm definitely like a beach type of vacationer. I don't really like cold weather or the mountains and that sort of thing. But, uh, for England, I would, I would do it. And I, I would love to take like, I don't know, two or three months and just find all the little nooks and crannies up in England and Scotland and Wales and just, just eat at little bed and breakfasts and all that kind of stuff yeah. would be the dream. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with, cause I think some of the most beautiful countryside, um, is like Scandinavian countries, Norway, Greenland, like these picturesque, like, uh, like Nursfjord and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. That's that, kind of what I'm thinking. That kind of thought of locations, but you're, you're in these like villages that are in like these valleys and you're surrounded by these ice mountains and waterfalls and rivers yeah, all around yeah. you. Um, I don't know that Nursfjord would uh, be uh, the game I would choose. Maybe Feast for Odin. But I, the thing that just popped in my mind was like Empires of the North okay. uh, for it. A little cartoony. A little cartoony. <laughs> you, you're you essentially just up in these Icelandic kind of Scandinavian um, countries and you just play something lighthearted. I don't want to be playing a heavy game because I want to be able to look outside. I That's what my I mind is like, like. Is it the Uwe Rosenberg games that all have like the cute little animals and cute little fields and all that kind of stuff? I feel like, yeah, Newsfield. Like Fields of Arl and there's a, there's a lot of like I feel like Newsfield would Greenland, be like the perfect Ireland. little game to play up in like a little village. Yeah, let's go with it. Let's go with it. This is a shout out for David. Newsfield. <laughs> uh, or Blood Rage. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, and what you can play Blood Rage while you're in a, a fjord. A fjord. A fjord. A fjord. <laughs> um, Wearing a Viking hat. Yeah, I'd be down for it. Viking I'm all hat. about uh, I'm all about cosplaying for. Remember that one? I know this is way off topic. So this was <laughs> Rowan Brady's favorite uh, kind of like dudes on a map is um, Game, of Thrones, Game of Thrones, right? And um, I was like, hey guys, are we going to cosplay our our houses? Yeah, and Matthew loves playing as Tyrell. House yeah, Tyrell. I don't know why you like playing it so much, but we we said Matthew, if you cosplay as um, like the Queen of Roses or whatever, the Queen of Thorns, then you can play. Yeah, because normally Tyrell. it's randomly <laughs> selected. What yeah. is, what is what is our, our thor- what is their house saying? Um, growing strong, going strong. Yeah. So I had a crown, I had a little golden, uh, golden, uh, cape and I had a rose I brought with me and stuff and no one else dressed up as their houses. (laughs) And I was like, this is stupid. Um, so I wasn't going to do that again. But I don't. I don't mind adding a little extra flair uh, to our attire for yeah, game. I nights. made like I made a throne for the person who sits on the throne, like a, yeah. this huge like back piece. And I had a little. I had bought like this stuffed raven and this giant sword for the person who had the uh, the the sword or whatever. Yep. <laughs> We're always looking for different ways to up the game, up up the ante. Yep. Up the ante. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode. Um, Brady, do you have any other thoughts or anything? Um, nope. I'm just I I do really like campaign games. I I the only tragedy is that we don't have enough time to play all of them. I wish we did, um, but I'm I'm looking forward to the ones we have coming. I mean, I'm hoping I live a couple more years, Brady. Yeah. So we will have Got time eventually. Time we don't have time right now in this very moment to play them all, but we we will over time. Uh, well, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Um, thank you for tuning in. As always, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brady. And this has been The The Discussion Phase.
Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at the Discussion Phase for reviews and new content, or you can join in on the discussion and send us an email at the Discussion Phase at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody.